Hello and welcome to the Next Stage podcast by Web Summit. My name is Luke and in this week's episode, we discuss the most divisive and talked about man on the planet, US President Donald Trump. In November of this year, the people of the United States will cast their vote and decide on their next president, with the polls getting it so incredibly wrong last time out. Dubbed by many as the election which will define a generation, this panel will explore what data, guts and trends are telling us and who we are likely to see enter the Oval Office for the next four years. The panel consists of political strategist Joe Pounder, author Neil Katyal, Tim Alberta of Politico, and the former head of business strategy at Cambridge Analytica, and the star of Netflix documentary The Great Hack, Brittany Kaiser. Well, thank you for having us. We'll dive right in because we don't have much time and there's so much ground to cover. Neil. Let's start with you. You are a big fan of this president, as we all know. Tell us, from a Democrat's perspective, what keeps you up at night right now as it pertains to next November, despite the president's unpopularity, despite the way he has polarized the electorate domestically? What is it that you fear most that could happen to allow for his reelection next year? So let me first start by disagreeing with the premise. I actually don't think Trump will be on the ballot in 2020. I think he will be impeached. I think he will be removed from office. I think we're talking about a president who has trampled on the Constitution, sold our interests out to foreign governments, tried to do it secretly. Um, He is corrupt. He's illegitimate. And I think everyone in America, Republicans and Democrats alike, will come together when they see the facts. So I don't worry about Trump when it comes to 2020. I actually think impeachment may be bad for the Democrats in the sense that Pence is a better candidate, but I think nonetheless the Democratic Party and the Republican Party together are going to come together and remove this unconstitutional aberration from office. But what if impeachment doesn't remove him. I think right now we need to be absolutely terrified about Mark Zuckerberg's assistance in the Trump campaign's continual campaigns of voter suppression, of inciting violence, of using disinformation in order to achieve their goals. Uh, In my new book, Targeted, I talk all about in detail what happened in the 2016 campaign, both the Trump campaign and the super PACs, how they engaged in voter suppression tactics. They even had groups that were called deterrents in order to say, these are Democrats that are not swing voters, they'll never vote for Trump, but we can convince them to not go to the polls. They measured their success in decrease in intent to vote. And you know what? Mark Zuckerberg's recent policy of not policing political speech basically allows any politician to break laws we already have. Joe, Joe, let's, uh, you, were, you were laughing yeah. when Neil made the point about Trump being not just impeached in the House of Representatives, but removed from office yeah. in a trial by the U.S. Senate. And just to clarify for everyone, that would require 20 Republican senators right. joining a, a united Democratic caucus to remove the president from office, which seems about as likely as uh, ACDC coming out and playing on this stage right now. Right. But Neil believes that that will happen. Joe, as a conservative Republican, you say what? So no doubt that I disagree with Neil. Uh, Nothing's going to happen to the president between now and 2020. He's going to be on the ballot. Uh, I think right now he stands a greater chance of being reelected in 2020. Uh, I think there's a lot of factors that go into his race. I think one of them being... 
One of them being the fact that, you know, right now, I think we'd step back. Right now, everything is seen as a referendum on Donald Trump. All the attention is focused on him while the Democrats are going through their nomination process. Eventually, this race becomes a choice, a choice between two candidates, Donald Trump and whoever the Democratic nominee is. I think once we have that choice, the president stands a really good chance of being reelected. What a so professional there on the fly, Joe Pounder. Uh, Neil, come back to you for a second on this. Assuming that Donald Trump is not impeached or that he is impeached but not removed from office, are you concerned, and I want to get Brittany to weigh in on this also, that the Donald Trump who won in 2016 was running on a shoestring operation. There was really no campaign apparatus to speak of. He limped across the finish line against the very vulnerable Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. Four years later, Donald Trump has a very professional campaign apparatus with ultimately probably hundreds of million dollars in the bank behind him. Does that concern you? considering how Democrats are going to spend the next six to eight months tearing each other apart for the right to oppose him in November? No, because I think no matter how professional the apparatus Trump runs is, and I think the proof of that we'll see, but it, it can't remove the record that this president has. And, you know, when you think about it in 2016, he won by just 107,000 votes in three states. That's what it took in those three swing states. And now there is an entire record of him destroying the economy, you know, separating children from families, trampling on the Constitution, thing after thing. I mean, but for me, the most important thing, and, and I think many people in the audience feel it, is this is a president who's fundamentally un-American who takes our values and shreds them. And I do think that Republicans and Democrats won't stand for it, whether, you call, whether it's in the impeachment context or at the ballot box. Um, he can be as professional as he wants in his campaigns. He was not a professional president. Brittany, so, uh, I want you to weigh in on this question, however. If the Trump campaign, whether it's their use of social media, whether it's their, their use of uh, perfectly legitimate voter mobilization efforts at home and, and getting out the vote in key areas of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, the states that are going to decide the outcome of the election. If you want to see the president defeated next November, how concerned are you about the professionalizing of his operation? Well, I believe in 2016, the operation got pretty professional, not until late spring of 2016, but a lot of my former colleagues moved to San Antonio and were working every single day to buy data, collect data from all around the world, and use that to create incredibly accurate models to figure out who is persuadable, to figure out who was neurotic and could be targeted successfully with fear-based messaging. And unfortunately, we haven't learned anything from 2016 because that is still going on today, and Mark Zuckerberg is helping them do it. So I just want to take a step back from the rhetoric for a minute and focus on two factors. One, I think I disagree with Neil again, and we're going to debate later today, uh, with the fact that I think many people argue that the economy is actually one of Trump's biggest assets in 2020. We just had a great jobs report on Friday, nearly 7 million jobs added into the economy since Trump became president. I think a lot of policies, the point there too, it is one factor worth watching for the rest of 2020, how the economy performs. And as someone who was involved in 2016 and now in 2020 again, I think what's really amazing is how much more professional, even from 2016, the campaign has got. They're well-resourced, they're pushing out a lot of content. I think it's really significant that someone like Brad Parscale 
is the head of the campaign because they're realizing that they have to push out so many messages to energize the base going forward into 2020. And I do think it's very significant too that the base is energized going into 2020. Republicans are united. And I think we saw just in the New York Times polls that came out yesterday that the battleground states are pretty tight. You're talking Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin again going into 2020. And there is a route for the president to unite the base, energize his voters, and get them to win those states. I think we got to remember that a lot of people said the same thing about Hillary Clinton in 2016, that it was pretty much a slam dunk for her to win. And I think the biggest uh, fallacy for the Democrats is to think the same thing going into 2020. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a slam dunk for anyone. In the 2016 campaign, there was there were over a million messages that were sent out by Brad Parscal and his team. The Clinton campaign only had just over 50,000. So I really think the professionalism of the campaign is going to play all of the difference right now, and also whether or not we decide to regulate big tech and police political speech or not. Neil, Joe just referred to uh, one of the real phenomenons of, of the Trump era, which is how he has consolidated power within the Republican Party and how no matter what he seems to do or say, as he famously observed, he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't lose a single voter. And that has been true, largely speaking, among Republicans. This is a president whose approval rating within his own party is as strong as any president we've seen in a half century or more. That being said, he has alienated independents, he has alienated moderates, and there is the beginnings now of a, of a bit of an internecine struggle on the left for the future of the Democratic Party in the post-Obama era between your more progressive wing led by the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders and the AOCs and your more traditional center-left wing of the party embodied by a Joe Biden or maybe a Pete Buttigieg. How concerned are you that that civil war as it begins to brew on the left could ultimately alienate some of those same independents and moderates who are currently estranged from Donald Trump and his Republican Party? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I, I guess I disagree with the idea that there's going to be a civil war on the left to kin to the right. I mean, Donald Trump is a 25-28% president for those people in the base that are fired up, motivated by his racism and other calls like that, sexism, things like that. But I don't think that the Democrats have the same thing. And we just have an ABC poll just this morning, which I think bears this out. When you ask in a head-to-head Head, Biden versus Trump. Biden has 56% of the vote. Trump has 39. And if you take it to the far left of the party, someone like Warren, it's still 55 for Warren, 40% for Trump. So I think either way, you're never going to reach the kind of polarization that we've seen on the Republican side because you don't have candidates who are nearly as extreme. Warren is still far to the center compared to Trump far to the right with the Republican Party, um, and you just don't have this despicable record that Trump has managed to generate over the last four years. So there's a lot of narratives to play out, and I will say one of the things that we are seeing on our side is how unknown a Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren is. That's actually been rather surprising to us, how definable they are going into the general election. Most people know Joe Biden as Obama's vice president, but they don't know much more, quite honestly. I think Elizabeth Warren, despite the motto of, you know, she has a plan for everything, most people actually don't know what she stands for. So a lot of these narratives that you're hearing here are very much contained within the DC echo chamber. 
there's still a lot of general election voters who haven't made up their minds about who Elizabeth Warren is and Joe Biden are, even if they have made up their mind about Donald Trump. And that's why the president, I think, is in a very good position going into the election. I want to begin by just saying I agree with Joe about something important, which is that it is hard to defeat an incumbent president, and particularly hard to defeat an incumbent president like this, who cheats on the election and tries to get help exactly. from foreign governments using <laughs> his commander-in-chief powers yep. and hiding what he did. So, yeah, I mean, I do think it's hard, but he got caught red-handed, and he'll get caught again and again because now the gig is up. Yes. If you are the Trump campaign, if you are in charge of getting this president reelected, where are you most focused? What are the demographic groups that you are zeroing in on right now and micro-targeting and know that you need them to turn out in large scale in order to win re-election? So I actually really do think that a lot of people are already decided. Democrats are definitely voting Democrat. A lot of swing voters are voting Democrat because they are anti-Trump and they've already pre-voted on that referendum, so to say. The main problem is that there are a lot of people that are not decided whether they're going to go vote or not. Not for whom, whether they're actually going to make it to the polls. And you know what I saw? I saw in 2016 that it's very easy to take disinformation or an incitement of racial hatred, for instance, and target that at African-Americans in vulnerable areas, at conservative women who didn't believe that Hillary Clinton should have stayed with a husband who cheated on her. There are all of these different ways that weaponizing sexism and racism was used for voter suppression. So if the Trump campaign can manage to keep enough of us at home, yes, he's going to win again. But if all of us actually show up to the polls, no, he doesn't have a chance at all. I want to make sure, since we're all in the prediction business here in politics, and we are exactly one year out from the election, I want you to go on the record right now, and this crowd will remember your prediction, and they will mock you for the rest of your lives if you're wrong. We'll come down the line. Joe, how many electoral votes does Donald Trump win in 2020? Probably uh, 290. 290. So he is re-elected president. Re-elected president. Neil, how many electoral votes? If he's on the ballot, 250. 250, so he loses. Finally, Brittany, how many electoral votes does Donald Trump win? I would say 250 or less. 250 or fewer. So we've got Donald Trump being reelected in Joe's scenario, Donald Trump either not being on the ballot or losing in the other two scenarios. Thank you all for having us, and we will look forward to coming back next year and revisiting these predictions.